Hello, my name is Kerry William Purcell. Welcome to number 24 of The Last Outpost. I'm currently in Cambridge, um, having a little walk around the University Botanical Gardens, which are absolutely stunning, um, if you've never been here. Before this, I went to the Cambridge University Museum of Zoology. And the reason I went to visit their collection is because of today's guest, who is Rob Coleman. And Rob is a taxidermist based in Norwich. I have to admit, I knew nothing about taxidermy before meeting Rob. So it was very much a learning experience for me, um, including one of the interesting facts regarding where um, the animals actually come from, um, as you'll hear. Rob had kindly put away most of the gory uh, elements of his profession before I arrived, um, which I was grateful for. So, let's begin. fascinated by nature that was always on my mind and I'd be able to look at nature and, and fo- that used to just entertain me whereas I think in today's world every entertainment is by phones and computers we didn't have that back then in the late 70s and 80s so I was always interested in nature I was big on nature obviously you're very limited work-wise to, to have your resources to work in nature I ended up being a photographer and worked as a photojournalist for many years. And when that came to finally an end, I just always had the fascination in taxidermy from from the Norwich Castle here and from seeing other taxidermists in, in nature themselves. And I decided to teach myself and give it a go. Okay. And that's where it started. The thing is about taxidermy, it isn't just turked down to one specific item. You do a little bit of woodwork, you do a little bit of painting and a little bit of sculpture and there's a bit of everything into, into uh, the, the art of taxidermy. It's not just specifically sold by one, one thing. A lot of people think it's just developed around just working with dead animals but there's a bit more structure than that. You do have to know nature as a whole to know how you situate the birds and the animals so it looks as natural and lifelike as possible. You, you couldn't do that if you just you went by pictures all the time. Um, there is references I do by pictures myself because there's some things that come here that people have got from other places, like a, like a leopard. Um, obviously, they don't run around in the UK countryside, but I do stick to mainly what runs around in the UK countryside. I try not to do pets if I can, because pets have so much more of a characteristic than what uh, the average nature does. 
do you think that's partly because if someone's been living with a pet, they project so much onto it and it becomes like almost like semi-human in their attributes and stuff? They do. Um, you, you, you have a pet and you see it every day where you, you do see birds in your garden every day, but they don't have that expression. Um, something like a dog has an expression. Um, it has eyebrows, for one. And you could think of the saddest thing in your life, and that dog looking at you will grow sad with you, with them puppy eyes, with the eyebrows. A cat, a cat isn't the same as that. A cat doesn't have eyebrows. A cat never gets itself into trouble. If, if a dog knocks a cup of coffee off the table, you'll know the dog has knocked a cup of coffee off the table because it gives you that sad look. Where a cat will just sit there with the same expression, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, it was a dog. Who comes to you? You know, the, the, what's the what's the sort of regular thing? That yeah, there, there is a mixture that comes to us. Uh, most of uh, about eighty percent of what comes into the workshop is roadkill. It's really? actually all off the roads. Very minimal comes from resources of shooting, where people think that does come. I'm not a big shooting fanatic, but obviously shooting off pheasants and partridges. That goes to the restaurant table. So, and they're bred for that. So that I can put up with. What I don't like to see is shooting for just glorification. Like that dentist yeah. the other year who shot Some that... kind of macho... He shot that of... lion and, you know, there's no need for it. OK, we, we have to have situations where we have to um, balance nature, but we shouldn't interfere to it so that much. So, uh, yeah, I disagree with that kind of any form like that. But most of it comes in for roadkill... And the, the car on the tarmac is the worst thing that nature has to put up with. So, I'm, I'm quite surprised by that. But So, you're saying someone will you know, accidentally hit something, they'll yeah. stop, pick it up, put it in the boot, and bring it to you? Uh, not necessarily them themselves stop. Someone passing by who just sees it dead um, and think, well, I wouldn't mind having that. If, so, but most popular are the owls. People see owls on the side of the road. I had an owl recently brought last week and that, that had a ring on it from the BTO. Quite sad circumstances because when I reported that owl to the BTO and said that it was found dead at this location, it wasn't even a year old. What's the BTO? Uh, the BTO is the British Trust of Ornithology. It's based okay. in Thetford and right. they have a bird ringing scheme because they use scientific defects. And obviously the scientificness of that would have been that owl was... Uh, rung in that area and I hadn't left that area and it was only rung in June and, and it was found in March so it wasn't even a year old Yeah, got clobbered by uh, some vehicle Do they ever give you requests or do you say no, no, no you give it to me it's my um, work I will decide or No, no, they have requests they totally have it how they want uh, some, some owls are, are pouncing down like as though they're pouncing down on prey or in flying pose or some are just sitting just on the post being wise 
they they choose how they like to have it done. Yeah. Um, they get that choice really. I, I can only guide them if they don't really know, but they often get that choice. I mean, other uh, specimens that come in um, just may have hit the window of the house or the, that woodpecker that was working on down there that had hit a window of a house and they thought that was just beautiful and just wanted it preserved and, and brought in. So that that's their process. So what's the process then? Take me through the process of actually, you know, producing uh, a piece of taxidermy. So the process is obviously someone has found something dead. It's then most probably frozen uh, till it's time to take the bird to pieces. We'll, we'll put a bird in, in uh, the frame other than a mammal that is roughly the same process. What people think is that everything is left inside this this bird, but it isn't. You're, you're just taking the skin off it. That's what the word you, you, you taxidermy. It comes together. It's skin. The only bones that's left in the bird is is roughly the skull, the wing bones, and the leg bones. But they're all cleaned of meat. They're all cleaned of meat and fatty deposits, and they're preserved with a, a, a solution of made in borax. You, you, you make an initial incision along the breast, you, you skin this bird just as you would be doing your chicken on a Sunday dinner. The skin rolls up over the head, apart from on ducks and geese and, and some other waders, where you have to make a separate incision under the neck. The, everything is cleaned out, as I said, all the bone matter, all the meat is all gone and removed, and then you replace that body with what they call wood wool. And, a lot of people get confused with wood wool, but bananas used to come packed in it years ago. It's a kind of substance of straw. Uh, that is an embalmed with wool to the shape of the body that you've took out. So that exact shape then goes placed back into the body, and that gives the form of what was taken out to replace all the muscle matter. Wires are put into place so you can structure the bird into its initial poses. They're put through the wings, the the actual body and into the neck, which protrudes into the head, or the actual skull matter, and then you're at the process after washing it to dry it out and start doing a... It's a very long process of putting each feather back in place once that bird is sewn up. Okay. Um, and I do that with a pair of tweezers, and it just takes hours, literally hours, because that bird has got to look as original as it had been when it was out in the wild. It's got looks, it's uniform. There's many things that go wrong. A lot of people will bring things in that have laid there too long. In the winter, you could probably get away with something laying on the road for about two or three days. In the summer, you've got a nice sunny day as it is today. The process where the meat starts to go high and deteriorate is a lot quicker. So a day or day or two, you're just going to start having problems and feathers will start falling out, fur starts falling out. The molten process of birds is a problem when they're brought in because obviously they've got loose feathers as it is and the same is with animals. This time of the year they're changing their coats so you can get a lot of differential colours in the two halves. That's a big problem. 
people uh, I have had a woman turn up here with a, a, a fox that she wanted done uh, it was a fox cub and uh, she picked that up off the road and before I got to the car where she opened the boot I thought this doesn't smell right and uh, when she opened the boot oh it was green it was absolutely green it was and I said I can't believe you drove here with um, it not smelling it and she said well I did smell something but I kept spraying my perfume to get rid of the smell but it, it was absolutely it couldn't be anything done with it I have done pets. It's not that I won't, I've got a religious ban yeah, on pets. Yeah, yeah. I don't like to do them because people don't understand. Uh, if someone rings up and says they want their cat um, preserved and, and mounted because you, you actually use the word mounted rather than stuffed. Yeah. Um, I'll then say to him, are you sure you want it done? Yeah, I want it done. Okay, best thing to do is put it in your freezer, in a bag, dwell on it a month. If you still want it done, I'll do it for you. Because obviously when the pet first died, the first thing is they want it mounted and preserved. And then someone buys them a new kitten or anything and they don't think they can have the old one back. And then I'm stuck with a cat. No one wants it long. Oh, they should bring it and then they don't pick it up and yeah. they don't... Uh... Uh, someone came at Christmas time and they, uh, their cat had unfortunately been run over outside their house. Um, that was an odd one because he didn't want the cat done, he just wanted the tail done, so he went out himself and hacked the tail off it and uh, said, well, I'd like to put it on a ring because I've got a picture of my cat and I'm going to have it next to it. There's a cat's paw down there at the moment as well where they didn't want the whole cat done, they just wanted the paw so it was on the shelf as a... So there's bits of animals they want done in their right. pets as a reminder. Yeah. Sounds a bit morbid. It's, yes, it's, but again, again, you think of like lucky omens and things like that that people have, yeah. you know, it, there's probably like a history there to it's, do with that. Sometimes it's extraordinary what people think up, what they want done. But yeah, I ain't got a religious ban on cats, I'm not, uh, or pets in a hole. It's just, you've got to remember there's a lot of character to that pet and you've loved it for a long, long while, sometimes 14 years in the shape of a dog. And um, they just change, you, you know, even though it looks very much alike, your perception changes when, it, when it, you know, that first initial shock of it's just been put sleepers. Yeah, and, and I suppose that, that is, isn't it? It's, the, it's, there's a strange thing about taxidermy in that, like, as you say, some pe- you want to make it, or some people want to make it look like it's in action, like it's lifelike, but it's yeah. not. Um, and I suppose with a pet, there's some sense of it being something's behind the eyes or something's lost or something's not there or something like that. That's right. Which is what they struggle with, maybe. There's all sorts of reasons. As I said, the most common one was where they've been bought a new puppy or a new cat yeah. and I've been left with a cat. It's, it's No one's going to want a black and white cat. Um, obviously, we do hire some 
items of taxidermy out to like TV adverts and theatre and someone might want a cat but you, you know the stock list you've got to have such a variety of stock lists it's near enough virtually impossible but some of it is hired out to adverts so you do that you have like a, a collection of, of objects of yeah, animals yeah that is hired out yeah right. from like TV um, and theatre and artworks and shoots so yeah they can hire it out and then just bring it back when they're finished with. Right. Um, obviously if you watched a um, a programme on Victorian you know there's a lot of Victorian programmes about when they're carrying these rabbits and dead chickens about upside down because they're meant to be dead they're actually taxidermied because obviously it would be a heavy chicken to lug around wouldn't it yeah I suppose if you're doing like six takes of something and you're over three days and it's like you know it's not going to last yeah rabbits are just laying in a van they're just things I've done and they're just on a TV programme it's interesting when you think about the history of taxidermy I was thinking about this before I came today and about often the two things that I I often think about are zoology and museums and old manor houses with things stuck you know a trophy hunt type of uh, um on the wall or something like that do you think because there's been a lot in the press I think over the past five six seven years I've seen articles about taxidermy do you think it's changed about what why people are doing it now and the, the reasons are changed I, or I think taxidermy comes and goes just like everything else you know, rock is in in music drama one minute and then it goes and something else comes in the taxidermy is like the same it comes and it goes obviously our biggest taxidermy period was a Victorian era and you have a lot of them halls and stately homes that have Victorian taxidermy and old taxidermy and I restore a lot of that because they're antique they've gone a little bit by the wayside and people bring them in to be restored and relived uh, the other option of uh, taxidermy is that a lot of people have done this kind of drama taxidermy with little mice where they dress them up in little skirts and little suits and that. Well, I didn't do any of that. I think you're taking some of the beauty away from the animal when you're making it a little bit more comical. Yeah. Someone else will have a different viewpoint of that. The, the other thing is a lot of people are, are obscured by taxidermy. They, they think... That all taxidermists do is just go around killing things or, or messing them with the dead and that. And that's far from the truth. Everything that comes in on my workshop is studied in the course of nature because I'm into nature. I've got a booklet and a, a record log for everything that comes in from where it's died to what's happened to it and all the little defects. I also then take measurements of the body, its tongue, its crop matter, any slight variations on plumage that's all written down and recorded in the scientific aspect of nature when them skulls that I've got downstairs they go off to universities because they study them as, as well that, that, that's part of what I have to do as well put um, skeletons together so when these people think well you, all you do is go around and kill things because you, you, you can split a crowd once you tell some people, they ask you what you do, and you say, well, I'm a taxidermist, that splits a crowd straight away. I didn't used to get that in photography, but everyone in photography would want, oh, well, yeah, you come and have a look at this. Mm. So it splits a crowd, but it's up to them, their own personal feelings of what they have on it. They, they go to whatever they do. What I don't like is when they, you, you get a bad rep in the press every now and again, it seems that they always want to use this word macabre in the media they also like what they call they've, they've titled the crap taxidermy where taxidermies go wrong because they find it funny 
that has gone wrong and you know you've got cross-eyed foxes and whatnot that's not funny at all really it's, it might be a giggle to for a few but um really you should be concentrating on the concept of proper professional taxidermy where it's used to its utmost do you think it's like a lack of respect as well for the actual creature and for nature? It is a little bit. It is, it is a yeah. little bit of lack of respect. I mean, that's just a waste. It's just a waste of time. Yeah. It, 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 as I said, they, they think it's funny and it's a bit of a freak show. Um, but, yeah, it's just a waste of time. Do you think there's something about what you do because like you say you're creating something which looks lifelike in inverted commas but it's dead and it's like you're in a way you're sort of bridging this life and death yeah. world and do you think there's something it's like that which which can unnerve we can split a room as you were saying it can yeah, make people it, unnerve people the only the, the only word I've seen macabre used is it whenever it's been media related. Yeah. They use that word time and time again. They must look up on each other's notes. Yeah. You don't hear it in everyday. They, they'll say, no. well, that's a bit gory or something but, like that. But, but there is something there, though, isn't it? You are, in a way, I'm not, I'm not saying it is macabre at all. I mean, what I'm saying is, is that it's a, you're in a unique position where you are, you sort of, you're, you know, that, uh, you're a bridge in some ways for keeping something in some form, again, in verse commas, alive through what you do, you know, in a say, putting it into a, a freeze, a freeze frame, um, but obviously it's dead. And it's quite a strange, um, it's an interesting relationship, like you, you as a person are trying to try and um, manage that in some way. Well, you're only trying to manage it, so obviously through the aid of a picture or a TV screen, yeah. you can only see so much. Once you see a taxidermy subject up in real life and you look at it as its face value, you can see it in a whole different alternative. That's its actual size. That's its actual feature. Yeah. That's its actual, you know, children can touch it and they can actually feel what that actually looks like. They might not even have to get to see a woodpecker um, rather than a picture in a book or, or out on the TV. That's the initial way that... that we learn about these animals to begin with is unfortunately through the lack of the, the early 1900s and, and, and the late 18th century people killed things and had them stuffed because that's their way of learning mm. it's different now mm. we can learn through photography and television yeah. but that art form is still there where people can still touch things Obviously, now we have a different device where death comes to us, and that's through the roads. It's the roadways that's the biggest. No one goes out, as I said, in Victorian times, shooting things and that, because that would just be unreal. There is this element of people as well that come here and think there's, there's always going to be money made of things. Um, someone's found something dead, and they want to sell it to me. Well, we can't buy it. 
we can't buy that thing so that goes back to your idea that what people think of as a taxidermy is that you're just like well yeah you know, you know yeah. if we went around buying things that the people found people would start killing things again yeah. because of the money aspect yeah. so you know you can't do that I mean it's, it's totally you're right I mean it's like when even I took my children we went to the um, Cambridge University Zoological uh, Museum uh, a few weeks ago and uh, amazing collection um, of skeletons of of, um, of uh, you know taxidermy which my three and a half year old boys were just absolutely fascinated with because like you say they never would have they never would get that up close in actual life apart from a screen apart from a document like David Attenborough documentary or something like that um, so it was actually really exciting uh, you know for them in that regard so that educational aspect is um it's still really important, you know, still vitally important, I think. I think it's vitally important. And it's also vitally important on a scientific basis, as I said, we take the notes, I take the notes specifically myself. A lot of naturalists take notes, but I can get a little bit more in-depth by what's on the insides. Um, a lot of the rabbits that came in for the last couple of years had a lot of, like, yellow spots over the liver, um, like a rash it was, where normally they'd been clean before that. So obviously they'd been picking up or had some disease that had prone to their liver. That's why they were, like, found in that state of um, deterioration. Um, you wouldn't know that. Would you? Did you report that or pass that yeah, on? Yeah, no, no, I, I said that to the the person who brought them in, and I also made notes of it myself. Um, there has been other situations come in where you know uh, something has been found dead, and you can think, well, actually, that wasn't really found dead as what it should have been. Um, a badger was found on uh, a roadside. It was on the A forty seven. And when that came in, I noticed that there was a familiar load of scratches on its face. I would have said that something had got hold of that as a means of a dog or something. Um, and that had been disposed like it had been killed on a roadway. But actually, it hadn't. But you wouldn't have known that unless you had took an in-depth look at it. Yeah, it's interesting saying that. You seem to have like a real in on... Um both um, the natural world in terms of uh, things, uh, you know, particular animals' uh, impact on their lives, their environments, um, whether it's social, whether it's, you know, dog fighting or someone's let a dog onto something. Um, and so do you, do you get approached by people a lot about this information, wanting to know about it? Because it seems really you've got, like, a pathway into Well, you, you, you do get asked for now and again by certain authorities of what's going on and um, have you got any notes on this? And, yeah, it's, but it's very minimal because they'll make their own mind up before they'd even got to that stage. There's so many other different pathways they could connect with, but, yeah, because I do note them myself. But as a whole, I love all nature. Um, I in the workshop sometimes uh, it was only a month ago that I could hear a blackbird crying um, and it was squeaking and squeaking there was another blackbird that was chirping and I thought that's making a racket as though something's wrong there and I looked out and a cat had got hold of this blackbird um, so I shooed the cat away and this blackbird was still alive it was a hen bird it was, it was a few feathers were missing around its tail but I picked it up um, and I placed it in a box with a towel and uh, within an hour, it was standing up. Um, another 15 minutes, I went to check to see if it was all right and see if it needed any water, and it just jumped out of the box and flew away. Mm. 
So that had been saved by the, a, a cat. I'd also had a, a barn owl that had been brought in here to me once, um, where the person presumed it was dead. He picked it up off the road, and he said it must have already just been killed because it was still in the middle of the road. And he picked it up late at night. And by the time he got it here, I said it was still breathing. It was still very, it was limp, but breathing. So I left it in the box overnight, and by the morning, it, it stood up. And I've even got the veterinary access to uh, recover a bird as such. So I took that to a local owl sanctuary where they took that bird in and that, that slowly recovered over time. And um, it made a full recovery where they could release it. Interesting. Yeah. Gosh, fascinating. I suppose the question you get asked all the time when someone says, when you tell someone you're a taxidermist, but I'm going to ask it anyway, what's the strangest thing you've ever had to, um, been asked to, um, to work on? The strangest thing, I think, is you, you never know what's going to come around the corner. And I had someone ring up once that had lost a thumb. <laughs> and oh, he rung up, and how he got this out of the hospital, I don't know, but he said he had his thumb, and he, he wanted this thumb preserved. And I said, well, I don't think you can do it. You can't do human anatomy. Where would it stop? Your granny's leg or your granny's hole itself? <laughs> It may sound a bit fun for a couple of yeah. weeks to have a thumb done, but I don't know. I don't know whether he went away and had a pickled in a jar or whatever, but really? someone can't really preserve a thumb. But that's about the strangest that someone had rung up. It might have been even a prank call, I don't know. Yeah. You do get prank calls ring right. up every now and again. But, yeah, that, there was someone who did ring up for fun, and that just played on my mind for a couple of days, that did. Yeah, that's a bit strange. Um, what do your family think of you and doing this? Do they? Well, they know. Are you used to it now, or? Yeah, they're used to it now. They don't like seeing the gore side of it, where things are, are being in the process, but they like seeing the end result. My son will say, oh, you, you're very arty, you, you, you pick up things that are dead and squashed and you put them together and you make them look all beautiful again. Oh. And that's a, one sort of like little outtake you wouldn't expect from sort of like a five-year-old boy because obviously he sees it in a different light and that he saw it in his eyes. And I suppose in a way, yeah, oh, that was quite nice to hear that as well um, as I do with everyone they, they always come in and say yeah, it's a fantastic job but it is good to, to bring that nature back that beauty back to it and have that shown as it was when it's come back to life yeah I mean you're living in a city uh, but you've got there's a point of connection there isn't there yeah. for, for children like going back to the zoological example of my kids looking around the museum um, and seeing that and I suppose even more for your family is that they're seeing the, the process itself and about and the artistry of it and actually you know the work you put into it which um is a different way of, you know, understanding it, I suppose. Yeah, so, I mean, some things, that, that you, you do feel for some things that come in, you just, like fox cubs, you think, well, I just didn't add a start, and then, you mm. know, that's in there, and, and, it's, and, and you have to deal with it. I, I don't like to see any nature suffer or, or die, but I, I'd love to see it out. I mean, I'd spend, if I'm not doing taxidermy work, I spend my time studying nature out in its entirety or taking photos to go on social media um, because I just just love nature as a whole mm. and all, anim all animals.
a lot of people have, have left nature alone a little bit and they, they don't realise what's around them mm. um, until sometimes they find something dead and then they realise, well, where did that come from? That's, yeah. that's always been around you. Maybe it's something about the type of temperament that's needed to do taxidermy attracts a particular type of person who is like that. Yeah, it, it does. Um, it just surprises... It's mainly the mammals that surprise people more than anything else um, because a lot of people get adapted into bird watching really easily. They put a bird feeder up in their garden and all of a sudden they're bird watching. Well, it's really easy because birds are everywhere. You cannot go outside without seeing a bird. You cannot put a bird feeder in your garden without a bird coming to it. Birds are just literally everywhere. You can just look out the window and there's birds. Mammals are a little bit different because mammals that run around in our country during the day are very limited. Most of them come out at dusk and night time and they don't see them animals and they're the ones that often are found dead. And they think, well, where did that come from? That's always been there. You just haven't seen it because it's just been skulking in the shadows. Yeah. It's funny, I have real strong memories myself of encounters with badgers or an owl flying in the, in the dark flying past me or hearing bats or something like that. And they're really evocative, and um, especially when they come out of nowhere and you don't expect them. And, uh, or a deer running along the side of the car, things like that. You know, it's, um, there is something, I'm not so jaded, uh, you know that um, even like a magpie, you know, landing on your on your gate there on your fence, um, and then doing a poo. Um, <laughs> there's, um, you know, I'm not so jaded that that doesn't still um, stay with me. And I think for a lot of people, especially children, as they're learning, you know, that not having those encounters, it can really a taxidermy can offer that in some way, not as maybe as startling as something when it's alive but it can still offer that I think you know um, so what are your plans for what you do are you just going to keep working what you're doing or um, get big, bigger and bigger or uh, no I don't get bigger and bigger I just do plan to just continue doing what I do um, and just find new ways to maybe quicken the process a lot of people want to do come and learn taxidermy themselves and uh, they come to me for lessons and I, I teach them little bits here and there it's surprising how many how much has picked up over the last couple of years really and how many people are coming and wanted to learn it but then they do realise it is a slow process um, and they like things to be done a little bit quicker and you can't speed up that process much more and uh, the, I mean the other aspect is that they also blinded as well like they see the taxidermy form and they like to, to do it but they've got no nature experience um, other than a bird box on the side of the house and you see I've got a bird box on my side of the house there's blue tits nesting in it but I, I go out as I say with my notebook and binoculars and just study wildlife yeah. if I'm not doing it in the workshop it's like it's a, it's a way it of life isn't it yeah. a way of life rather than just a, a profession it's actually a way of life yes Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I, I haven't got no fascination in the TV um, or phones or, or computers. We all must have them, obviously, but I'd rather see... Uh, that nature out there is the biggest showcase and entertainment in the world that they can have. And a lot more people can find that showcase more entertaining if they just switched off from some of the electrical products in their home and yeah. gone out and looked at it. Yeah, being a bit more mindful of their environment. Yeah. Yeah. And the colours and, and just the way things act. And, and nature will interact with you if you just take your time and not have to rush it. 
like to thank Rob for welcoming me into his home and also showing me some of the um, projects he's currently working on, which were rather beautiful to see. If you want to see any of Rob's work, then head over to www.norwichtaxidermy.co.uk. Um, so, I hope you enjoyed that episode and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>